Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Game Table! Yes, this is The Game Table. I'm Seamus Byrne. Thank you all for coming back again. Uh, after a series of episodes that were all sorts of cool interviews hanging out with Dungeons & Dragons Live people, uh, this is where we start to deviate and talk about other fun things. Um, not not deviant, deviate, important difference, uh, though, you know, maybe it all crosses over into the same place. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's the way I like to start things, by just confusing myself and everybody else. Um, talking about random crap. Uh, as I said, I'm Seamus Byrne, and, yeah, today we're going to talk about board games. Uh, I think this is an area that actually I am a little less au fait with. I am a massive role-playing nerd um, since way back, um, you know, D&D, obviously. Uh, I, vampire, paranoia, cyberpunk, played all the different RPGs, love them to death. And I have dabbled in board games, but I know I have an awful lot to learn. So I have somebody who I know has gone uh, very, very deep into all things board games over recent years. Uh, Nathan Cox, he is an ex-games journo, I guess, a recovering games journo. <laughs> <then maybe that's, laughs> um, and does all sorts of things, but I know also has plans to do very cool things telling the world about cool board games. So Nathan, thank you for coming on the show. Hello, and thank you for having me on board the show. Glad to be um, here. So, yeah, look, as I said, you know, I know you've gone deep, but I'd love a bit of your background from yourself there on when when that kind of deep dive into board games started for you, what kind of triggered it and, and how that addiction is traveling. Sure. Um, so I got into board games um, around the same time I stopped writing about video games. And I think I got burnt out in video games for a bit and I was kind of looking for another nerdy hobby because they're the only hobbies I really appreciate. What else is worth doing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and around that time, uh, there was a lot of talk about this card game called Netrunner, which was a sort of reprint of an original game that was produced many years before by Richard Garfield of um, Magic the Gathering fame. And I bought a core set of Netrunner and that game quickly became an obsession for the next few years. Um, and kind of was my gateway drug to board games because, I mean, I always knew Magic. I, I was playing Magic when Magic first came out. It was so much fun. Um, and then I sort of fell out of Magic and threw my cards away, which is horrifying to learn that how much a Lord of the Pit can sell for <laughs> know, these right? days. Um, <laughs> so depressing because I had like four. <laughs> um, but I actually, I, I sold all my old Magic cards just before Commander became a thing, uh -huh. which... <laughs> which really seemed to be that moment when suddenly everyone was like, oh, oh, now I need the old cards. Yeah. Like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was good to find another. I would sort of the reason I'd fallen out of magic back when I was, you know, many, many years ago when I was a teen was that the cost. I mean, A, as a teen, I didn't really have much money in the first place, but that notion of buying, 
you know, booster packs that were full of random cards and you might get what you want, you might might not. Um, Netrunner sucked me in because they have the what Fantasy Flight call their living card game model where each sort of expansion box or booster pack you buy has the exact same cards in it. So the the playing field is, if you've kept up with the card rotation and the packs they've released, the playing field's yeah. completely even. That's You'd never have to spend any more money than that. Um, so that got me sucked in, but yeah, that became my, I started going, oh, this is really cool. And when I was in a board game shop to buy, um, some cards, I, as some Netrunner cards, I saw a pretty box that I had heard some talk about, which was a game called Terra Mystica. Um, and I picked that up and that was my first experience with like heavy Euro games. And yeah, I kind of got hooked from there on in, um, and yeah, four years later, and my personal collection's over three hundred. Um, so yeah, the addiction's real. And mine's a mi- <laughs> mine's a minor addiction. I've got friends who've been board gaming for much longer than I, and, the, and their collections are significantly uh, significantly larger. It's it's kind of terrifying. And and it is funny, isn't it, when you think about you know a lot of the a lot of people when it comes to magic, apart from the kind of the costs involved um, to keep up. Uh, there's also the storage discussions on mm-hmm. where you keep all your cards. Um, so yeah, so instead, you know, you move to the the version where you're keeping very large boxes, correct? Um, <laughs> <laughs> rather than just finding boxes to put thousands of cards in. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm actually now at the stage I'm on holidays at the moment, and uh, one of my tasks for this holidays is actually to go through my collection and start highlighting um, highlighting board games for the cull. Um, like I've got stuff here that's been here like two, three years that I'm looking at right now that's um, never been played. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's not good. <laughs> I have a friend who is a massive music nerd and mm-hmm. he a big part of his enjoyment of his CD collection is reorganising it based on different themes. Sometimes oh, it'll yeah. be alphabetical, <laughs> sometimes it'll be chronological. Um, but he said, you know, that process of just getting them out and touching them and thinking about them is, it, it, when when you have that many board games, is is this where it gets to, where you start to think totally. about kind of organisational? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Like when I first got into board games, I had, um, I can't even remember what I was storing them in. Like I didn't have really adequate shelving by any stretch of the imagination. Since that time, I've bought um, a multitude of Kallax, um, which is the IKEA shelves that are the perfect size um, for board games and and record collections as well. If you're into LPs, um, which I'm not because I have board games taking up that space. <laughs> yeah, um, but, I have nowhere to put them. <laughs> uh, it's great. Like I'm legitimately, um, I, I love that experience as well of doing the recategorize. Uh, sometimes I'll do it by theme. Um, a lot of the times I'll do it by uh, by designer, particularly if it's a designer I like. So all my um, Vitola Serta games are all together, all my um, – oh, God, I'm down blanking on uh, developers' names. But, yeah, sometimes I'll do it by the designer uh, theme. I really, but that's yeah. a really cool – yeah, that's a nice structure because exactly then you'd be like, mm, what kind of a, what kind of an experience am I looking for? And, you know, certain designers will deliver certain kinds of – vibes totally except for my favorite designer um vlada shavatel um and that's probably the incorrect pronunciation of his surname he's a czech uh designer and he's probably the most um varied game designer out there uh so with all the other designers yeah it's like oh that that guy makes games like this whereas vlada just makes everything like he made the the, currently one of the big popular uh, party games code names and he also made my favorite game of all time in all time mage night which is this sort of epic five hour long really statistics heavy fantasy game that a lot of people have referred to as you know the same as doing your taxes um so yeah uh so my favorite (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, that's fine. And I think that point about actually pulling him out and touching him, like that's one of the things I really, really do enjoy about board games is the, is the tactile nature. And with some of my, you know, favorite board games or the ones that are the most beautiful, the, a big part of it for me is then sort of taking out all the components and then carting those over to my painting table and then spending, you know, hundred hours or so getting them all painted. Um, but yeah, that tangibility aspect I love with board games. It's, um, it's, mm. it's a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who, and it's funny, just even when we're talking about that, it, it kind of makes me think back to the idea that as much as I sort of see thinking I'm not, you know, I haven't been a big board gamer, mm. that's really only sort of, that is only in this era when I've noticed that the whole scene is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's blown up again. Oh, geez, Siri, shut up. <laughs> Somehow Siri decided to tell me she doesn't know. Um, it's like, look, I, I get it. She doesn't know. Um, but yeah, so as a kid, I, like, I had so many board games. And one of the things was I was always really careful about, you know, I never lost pieces to anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I knew I had friends who, you know, their games would only last, you know, a couple of months after their birthday because they'd lose all the bits. Yeah. Um, and so I did actually have a really big collection of kind of, weird 80s board games and things like that um and really really used to kind of yeah love playing them and then i think yeah as i got older and role-playing games took over a lot of my focus um you know those things kind of did the whole family storage mode where they Mm -hmm. they lived in boxes for a long time and eventually my parents just gave them away to charity and and i sat there thinking but i can't remember which ones i'm missing so does that mean (laughs) i'm allowed to miss them um (laughs) but but yeah i think it's clear in recent years though that the reason i'm feeling it is because the board game scene has kind of exploded again and when i walk through a game shop looking for the other things that I have been playing more of, I stand mm-hmm. there going, man, there is a world here that I'm, I'm not in touch with, <laughs> but I, I want to get kind of my brain back around it again. But, you know, from your take in the last, what, like five or so years, you know, what's, what do you feel like is the health of, of this scene? Um, it's, it's an interesting um, board game. The board game industry is an interesting um, time at the moment, I think. Um, like it's, it seems very healthy um, sort of looking at a, you know, sort of, uh, an overview of of the market. Um, you're right. Like there, board games are now a thing again, um, and they haven't been a thing for a long time. I mean, a lot of the commentators sort of refer to the fact we're in the um, you know the renaissance of board gaming. Um, that's not necessarily to say all the great games are coming out now. There are amazing games that are coming out now, but um, yeah, the industry is is much bigger than it's ever been. And I, I find that even just sort of talking to people when they find out that I'm into board games they'll say, oh, yeah, I've got a friend or I really love board games. We played this game the other day. And in the past, even when I started, I mean, I came in probably in the middle of when this whole thing was exploding. Um, Mm -hmm. But even when I started, people would immediately think, oh, what, like Scrabble or Monopoly. But even, you know, four years later, people are now saying, oh, we played this game and you're on an island and you're trading wood for sheep. And and I'm like, oh, Catan. And they're like, yeah, 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 we play. Oh, that that game's great. And even some more more recent and... uh, it almost suggests more advanced titles. I was chatting to someone recently who played Suburbia. Um, it was like the only board game they played, which was kind of crazy because Suburbia can be quite intense. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot more people playing board games. There's a lot more awareness around it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm probably reluctant. I mean, I'm no expert in the finances of all the publishers out there, but I kind of see board games in a similar position to the indie market and video games at the moment where 
the market has exploded and there are so many people making board games every year and so many board games released that it's very hard for a single title, a brand new title from an unknown uh, developer, unless they've got, you know, a big publishing house behind them or they've got some gimmick that did them well on Kickstarter. It's very hard to get noticed in the, in the sea of stuff that is coming yeah. out. Um, so how sustainable is it in its current state is, is really interesting. But, I mean, it, it has had some ridiculous successes, like the number one, um, so the fourth highest uh, funded game on Kickstarter of all time uh, is a personal favourite of mine, Kingdom Death Monster. It was their second Kickstarter, and that made $12 million. Um, there's only four things higher than um, it, sorry, three things higher than it in the sort of Kickstarter most funded. And the most backed was um, Exploding Kittens, which was the card game made by the Oatmeal. Um and that's the number one more people back that thing on Kickstarter than anything else. So the the market is out there, but is the market oversaturated at the moment? It's 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 tough to tell. I mean, it was interesting thinking about what games I've played this year, and I realised how few of them were actually made this year because I'm only just getting around to playing them. <laughs> yeah, and look, it's a, it's a good point too that I think. Um, again, that feeling of walking to a store and looking around. It's funny how there's sort of such a when we compare it to the video game industry, you know, I feel like there's so much more media that can help me to know, you know, get a sense of what what new games are coming out for, as video games mm-hmm. um, and, you know, what might suit my taste and what kind of an experience I can expect. Um, it's harder to, at least I, I feel like it's harder to get that sense of, you know, what board games might, be the kind of thing that I want to play, you know, what might be a good family experience versus mm-hmm. a good experience with some mates over a beer or, you know, or, you know, how long is that game roughly going to take or last or, you know, all those, kind of, it's like there's less of that visibility to me of, um, you know, of just being able to get a, a good idea that going, oh, if I go down the shops, there's like three, there's probably going to be three board games that I could, I, I could grab at the moment that might be a really you know, good experience for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you kind of need to be involved in the communities to be across that. Um, you've got a lot of um, websites that are, I guess, doing their utmost to do a um, you know sort of great work within the industry. The, the probably the obvious example of that would be um, the Dice Tower, which is run by Tom Vassell. Um, and while I take umbrage at the fact that their game reviews are seventy five percent rules explanations, um, those those guys are putting out a lot of content, doing a lot of effort, uh, making a lot of effort to make stuff more well known. You've got your shut ups and sit downs and no puns included and whatnot, and and they're all playing a part, but none of them like they're not an IGN or anything like that where they can just yeah. pump out a huge amount of content. There's just not that many, um, the, the resources just aren't there. But if you're yeah. involved in the communities like Board Game Geek or the Board Game subreddit on Reddit, um, I don't know where else the subreddit would be found, but yes. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you're able to stay across things then. But even then, it's it's driven so much by the tastemakers. Um, again, yeah. like if I go to the, the Hotness, um, which is a really useful tool on Board Game Geek, uh, which lists sort of the, the games whose pages are being looked at the most um and board game geek if if anybody's getting into board gaming who's listening to this that is like the the place that you need to be it's just a gigantic database of board games um but yeah sort of looking through the list it's um 
it, it's it's really it is the hotness like it's so driven and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy if something goes up on the hotness yeah. more people look at it which makes it stay longer on the hotness um and again yeah there's just that challenge of uh being across everything um is is tricky it's you've got to be across the communities and even then you like the number of times i'll see something come out in the shop or um i've heard about something oh this is really great and i found out i missed the kickstarter because it was like 12 months ago um yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) i have to say the number of times i've spotted a kickstarter somewhere i'm like this looks really cool and then like it finished two days ago yep Um, but look, I think it speaks to that whole, you know, that, that marketing difference between video games as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, there's, there's a big reason that something like an IGN can exist. Um, and it's because there's a lot of advertising, you know, money thrown into totally. the video game world that just doesn't exist in, in this world. And so it does. It speaks exactly to that idea that this is, yeah, it's more of a community oriented space because. Mm. It's about almost like there's a far more direct connection between the people who are trying to enjoy it and the people who are trying to make it. Um, the fact that we, you know, we probably, uh, right, there's probably even more talk about designers within board games than in video games, even Definitely. though like, you know, or, or it's, maybe it's that thing of, you know, right, designers, the most hardcore video game fans will talk about designers, but most people don't care. They just, you know, yeah, they're, they're getting the big marketing message and that's the main thing that they're worried about. Whereas it seems like, yeah, this is more that it, it's mostly that smaller subsection of if you're into it, it's because you're hardcore into it and therefore you're following all those details. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there's also, um, I think uh, board games probably do a little bit better of a, I mean, and the very nature of board games mean that this is viable, this isn't viable in video games, but you can actually point to a board games designer. And yes, there'll have been other people involved, such as the artists or the um, uh, or the producers and all that sort of thing, and they all have a role to play, but the through line from game experience to the actual game designer um, is much stronger than it is in video games. I mean, for every, you know, Kojima that you have or you, for every Sid Mir, there's like, a thousand of really thousand really great designers who don't get that auteur status. Yeah, you know they're working on a team with hundreds of other people. Um, so that yeah, it's it's a I think um, and it's it's a better arbiter I think of ultimate quality in board games because of that because it is typically more that one person experience. But you're exactly right. But that's only really a discussion point for those who are really into it. Most other people are just like yeah, would have no idea who designed the games they're playing. Yeah, and actually, I, I feel it makes me think. I definitely want to get uh, one of the good games uh, shop crew on soon to talk about. I, I'd be fascinated to know, you know, how because there's still plenty of people who just want to buy a board game for a family mm-hmm. member as a present. Um, I'd love to think, you know, get a sense of how what how that question is framed these days. You know, because in, you know, I like they're probably not walking into a good games if they're if they're just looking for Monopoly, they're probably walking in there because they know there's something more going on, mm-hmm. but they, you know, how do they frame the tell me what's good type question <laughs> um, or how they even might tease out from somebody what it is because definitely that interface there in the store is probably a really important one now for when people are, are trying to find out, you know, what what might be something that's up their alley. Yeah, um, it's but, super important. Yeah, and look, I mean, speaking of that, you know, again, for the people who maybe they're eager and and they're trying to think of what's good at hand and they've probably at this stage heard of Catan and Ticket to Ride, um, you know, what sort of other suggestions are out there that you think might be worth people checking out from recent years that you think are standouts that maybe people haven't heard of? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think the challenge with anybody, and, and it's probably, again, the same with video games, but I guess most people come to video games from the background. They'll have some level of literacy. I like shooters or I like sports games. Um, board games are a little tricky because they are so varied. Like you have, you know, these epics, long, slow, torturous strategy games that, you know, go for, you know, seven hours. Um, you've got real-time games. You've got dexterity games. Um, like there's just so much different stuff out yeah. there. So it can be a bit of a challenge to recommend something to someone because I don't like – I like a lot of different board game styles, but there are certain styles that don't really gel with me. Um, so I think probably the best thing to do for anybody who's trying to get into the um, hobby is, A, find a friend who likes board games will be a really cheap way to go about it. Um, or alternatively, head down to like a board game cafe and check out their library. But I think there's you can prob- there's probably a couple of recommendations I could make in a, some of the more popular – genres and i think it'd almost be worthwhile trying sort of one game in each genre to work out what your taste is and then follow that sort of that line through um so with that in mind uh i did i jotted down a couple of notes before i jumped on you are you are well prepared thank you so much (laughs) no problems um So one of the probably the most popular game genre that's out at the moment is a, a game genre called worker placement, um, which is a style of game where you will have a um, a resource which is your workers. You might have three or four, and on your turn you will place those workers on different spots of the board to gain a benefit. And once your dude is there, somebody else can't put their dude there. And it's a it's a really the first time I encountered worker placement. This is like a really super weird genre. Um, but it's actually, it's really, really fun and it's extremely popular. And the number one one I would recommend for most people to check out is a game called Lords of Waterdeep, um, which, yes, D&D theme. So that, that's one for you, though, Seamus. Um, uh, and it's basically you have a, um, yeah, three or four little workers that you sent out into the city of Waterdeep and everybody plays a, um, you know, one of the mysterious Lords of Waterdeep. And... And you're basically all you're doing is collecting resources from these spots, like wizards and warriors, and then you use those to complete quests, which are just simply, you know, if you've got four thieves and two priests, you can complete this quest, and that will give you gold or, or what have you. And this is a really simple worker placement game. It's probably the most vanilla worker placement game that exists. Like it's super basic and straight down the line, but it's really fun. It's an old game. I still love it to this day, and it's really the perfect introduction to uh, to worker placement games. So that one definitely I recommend for uh, people trying to see what modern board games are like. Yeah. And look, I have actually, I've played Lords of Waterdeep, a friend has it, and one thing I did notice as well with that style of game was I think the the first playthrough, you know, there was a bit of muddling around and trying to get mm-hmm. a handle on it. But then, you know, the same evening we had a second playthrough and it was just like it was it was really fast because suddenly we we then got, you know, what is it we're trying to to achieve on the board, you know, mm-hmm. uh, after just that first wave of of not quite grasping the strategy until you're getting towards the end and then you go, I can see what I should have done now. Um, yes. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that sort of second time through was just, yeah, it kind of really flowed well and it was, and yeah, everybody was clearly having a lot more fun on that second run. So, yeah, that was it was really good. Yeah, no, I'm a, there's so many more complicated and in-depth and crazy worker placements that have come out since, but um just going back it's just such a pure experience of that um, particular mechanic type um yeah big fan um probably another one that's an easy one for people to get into and this might be one you've played yourself it's very very popular um the the genre is they call it social deduction games um which is typically sitting around this is a good one for 
for actual interaction with your friends. You're not staring at your board and trying to optimize your, um, you know, your, your engine or what have you. You're actively engaging with the other people across the table. Um, so these I find are really easy to get out at a party. Um, but the one I'm going to recommend people try is um, called the Resistance or the Resistance Avalon. Either of those will do. Avalon is a little bit better because it's got some extra roles in there, but there is an expansion for the Resistance that brings them up to parity. But basically in that you're two, uh, you're a group of people sitting around a table. Some of you are members of um, the Resistance and some of you are agents of the dystopian government uh, that have been sent to infiltrate the uh, the Resistance and as you go around the table, basically, as you play the game, you go around the table saying, oh, we've got a, a mission we have to go on, and you select the number of people to go on the mission who are other people around the table, and the spies are trying to cause the mission to fail, and everybody else is trying to make the mission succeed, and what you're trying to do is actually figure out who at the table is a liar. Um, and it's just a lot of fun just trying to work out who's bluffing, who's being honest, Uh it's yeah, it and it can lead to some pretty aggressive arguments across the table. But so long as <laughs> so long as everybody um, is you know taking it in the spirit that's intended. But I did I do vividly recall uh, playing this with some work colleagues once, and um, one of the guys who I was convinced was a spy kept swearing. I'm like, no, nah, he's definitely a spy. But the other person was like, no, I totally trust him. I totally trust him. And when it was revealed that he was a spy, she looked genuinely hurt that, <laughs> that this person at the table had been lying to them the entire, guy, the entire game. And it was hilarious. Uh, but I love the resistance. And then they carry that resentment with them away from the table. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and they left the workplace a lot long after. No, that's, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's one I definitely recommend. Um, yeah, for if if it's the social aspect of gaming that you find intriguing, and there's so many games like this. Um, there's Mafia or Werewolf, which is a popular one from years back. I personally cannot stand those games, but a lot of people love them. Um, there's uh, Murder in Hong Kong, um, which I highly recommend. That's a lot of fun as well. Uh, but the Resistance tends to be a lot of people's sort of first foray into that style of game. And, um, yeah, I recommend it. Awesome. That sounds um, great. I've never played it. So, no. that Oh, definitely play I'm, it. It's, I'm mad keen. All right. Yeah, it, it's crazy fun. And it's cheap. It's like 20 bucks at a local game store. Um, if you don't, if you just plan on buying a single box, grab Avalon, which is all um, the Knights of the Old, uh, Knights of the Round Table um, type oh, cool. theming. But the game's exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, there's uh, for dexterity games. If you're more of a um, person who wants to be a bit more physical with your games, there's a wonderful game called Ice Cool, where you flick penguins around a um, an icy high school or an ice cool. <laughs> um, and uh, that that game's crazy fun. That uh, I always have a success with that. Um, there's just these lovely little weighted penguins, and if you flick them to one side, they'll curve right or curve left. If you flick them on the head, they'll actually jump, and you can get them to jump over things. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot, a lot of fun. And if you get Ice Cool 1 and its sequel, Ice Cool 2, um, you can actually combine them into a mega table, multi-table spanning Ice Cool um, to uh, chase your penguins around in. And that's heaps of fun. Oh, my God. Okay. No, yeah. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hunt that down. That sounds really, really good. You, yeah. you gave me the hot tip a few years back on, uh, hey, that's my penguin. So you clearly do have uh, an yes. affinity with penguin games as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, that's my fish is a wonderful, wonderful, hey, that's wonderful my game. Fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is delightful, but a very different, uh, very different speed than this one. <laughs> yeah. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. See, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this lucky phase at the moment where my kids are now, you know, 13 and almost 11. Um, mm-hmm. And so there has been that process where, you know, as I said, you know, a few years ago, hey, that's my fish was the kind of perfect fit for, for mixing up kind of easy play, um, but deep strategy as people yep. kind of grew up with it they started to get more and more ruthless with each other as they put in the way that mm-hmm. they can play it um uh, and so but now yeah we are getting into kind of more kind of you know more deep dive type game opportunities because you know they're ready for it now that they're a little bit older so this is this is great stuff for me Excellent, excellent. Well, one I'd recommend for another one to sort of advance that uh, with your kids um, is cooperative games. I think are an excellent, fantastic for families as well because you're working together. So if anybody's uh, liable to chucking a tantrum, um, (laughs) this can be a a very good way of ensuring that doesn't happen because you either win together or you lose together. Um, Look, there is a reason my daughter still loves playing Monopoly and it's because she likes to just dominate people <laughs> <laughs> well this the, well this game probably won't be of appeal to her then because you because you, you've got to play nicely um the recommendation we're going to make for cooperative games is pandemic it's it's an oldie yeah. but a goodie uh obviously got a bit of a new lease on life recently with the release of pandemic um legacy season one as well as pandemic legacy season two uh and legacy games for people who don't know are games that you play for a set number of t- um turns or a set number of games and as you play through the game things will change on the board you'll tear up cards you'll write down new locations and it sort of tells this epic story um and pandemic legacy is absolutely fantastic but yeah if you're trying to get into games and the cooperative games are good games to play to learn together because nobody gets an advantage over somebody else um so you can sort of muddle out the rules together and, and um yeah pandemic's the 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 classic of the form really the one that um made this one of them this is probably one of the hottest game genres going around at the moment uh cooperative games are a dime a dozen extremely extremely popular stuff awesome look man they are some awesome recommendations i don't are they the main genres covered off or was there anything else up your oh there's there's so much stuff i mean there's economic games there's area control uh you've got party games like dixit and code names which are very popular in that you've got abstracts you've got auction games like the genres are (laughs) absolutely crazy the one thing i will say though is if anybody loves monopoly i do have a monopoly killer um it's not the same game as Monopoly, but there is a game called uh, Lords of Vegas, which is uh, you're all property developers in Las Vegas and trying to run casinos. And it doesn't have it, – it scratches the same Monopoly itch despite being a totally different game to Monopoly. Yeah, cool. um, but, yeah, I'd recommend that as well. If anybody's, like, really hardcore loves their Monopoly, um, firstly, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and right, secondly, exactly. try this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I – I, I, whenever I see it out on the table, because some friend came over and 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 the kids have decided to play it, and I just I, I walk into another room and try to pretend it's not <laughs> happening. Um, yeah, but so that's good. I like that. There's going to be another option here. Here, look, you want to want to make all the money and and be successful in business. Here, here's a different game. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Um, I'll ask the dumb question about legacy. When you mm. get to the end of the sequence of X number of games, yeah, like can you then still just play it, or is the idea that it's kind of now not really like that the game has been so transformed through that process that it's not really a playable version of the game anymore? It depends on the legacy game. Um, right. So there are games like uh, so Pandemic Legacy and the first legacy game, which was Risk Legacy, uh, which is also absolutely brilliant. And this is coming from someone who hates Risk, love <laughs> Risk Legacy. Um, the idea behind them is that when you've finished off your 12 games or however many might be, you have, yes, a fundamentally altered game experience but one that you theoretically can play again as this is my own custom version of risk or this is my own custom version of pandemic and let's play on this but the problem is those games as you're going through you're you're not making decisions based on maintaining balance in the long run you're trying to win the legacy aspect yeah so you sort of get to the end and you'll have yeah, risk legacies are a really good example. Like you can have just certain areas of the map that are just completely useless and there's no point actually going there anymore because so much has changed that if you try and, you know, create a foundation in that area, you're going to get beaten. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's some that are like that. But then you've got games like Charterstone and the whole thing behind Charterstone is that you are actually building up to completing the game. So every game you play in advance in this legacy format is basically a really involved setup for finishing off a board game um so yes you do end up with this very custom thing that's custom to you but a lot more effort from uh, my understanding has gone into ensuring that the final result is something that is actually playable it's just going to feel different depending on whose game you've got yeah Look, that's awesome. I have to, I've been trying to jot down because I know, you know it's so hard to listen back through a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> let alone listen to one in the first place. Um, <laughs> it, it, so I'm just trying to keep track because I'm like, I'm going to try to drop as many links as I can into the show notes for people uh-huh. because, yeah, I think it's it's just really helpful when people, and I think, you know, again, when I think forward to how we'll continue covering this sort of stuff on this show, um, you know, I feel like this is a, the foundation. And then from here, we just get to like talk about stuff that's happening because it's new and exciting and interesting. Mm. And, you know, and we can debate philosophy, but this is a good, let's just <laughs> kind of pull out lots of threads so that anybody who's trying to catch up on what's been going on um, can listen to this and follow some links and go, awesome. I now can go spend a thousand dollars on some new board games. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, give out Christmas presents. What, you know, that's, that's the right way to do it. Um, so yeah, more recent stuff. How do you feel like what's been, what's been jumping? out at you this year any trends that you're kind of excited about um yeah in the scene right now yeah so um probably so as i mentioned earlier i think prior to coming here i was having a thing about what games i've actually played that were released this year i've played a lot of games this year but in terms of games that released this year very few i've actually played um which is uh which is surprising um but i'd probably say the, the more recent games that have come out of late that i think um definitely worth a look in there's a wonderful party game called just one um which i played relatively recently and it's one of those things that yeah you can play it as a game and keep score but it ends up just becoming an activity that you just keep going until everybody gets bored uh which is going to take a while because this is just silly fun and the (laughs) idea is it's a a cooperative game in a way you've got a group of friends sitting around a table one person uh will put a card in front of them that they can't see they only the other players can see and it's got a number of words listed on it they say a number which will correspond to a word and then everybody has these little um like plastic tiles that they can write on with erasable markers 
and they all have to write down a one-word clue that will help the other person work out what word they've got to guess. But any words that uh, – and you write these to yourself, and when you're done writing, everybody turns them around, and if there are any duplicate words, they get removed. And so you're leaving less words for this person to guess the result with or less clues <laughs> for them to guess the result with. And it's, it's really, really basic, really, really simple, and it's a whole heap of fun. Um, so just one, yeah, you can find it pretty much any board game shop. And I think it's, um, yeah, just lots of silly fun. Um, escape plan is probably the most recent new game I've played that I absolutely adore. It's a game guy, a guy called, uh, Vital Lacerda, who's a, um, Portuguese game developer who has a, he's very well known for making games that are really, really heavy crunchy sort of um lots of mechanics going along lots of thinking uh not a light game by any stretch of the imagination definitely the creator of a you know gamers games um but he typically deals in quasi dry sort of economic themes so he had a game called vinos which is about um wine production in in portugal um a game called The Gallerist where you're uh, buying art and training artists and sort of acting as a, as a publisher. But this one's really interesting because it's still the really sort of heavy sort of mechanical systems. But um, unusually for a Euro game, this is actually like, it's basically kind of like the end of Reservoir Dogs. So there's been a heist. Suddenly, um, and you think and you've invested all your money around town and you're laying low and you think everything's going to be good, but then the police start showing up and you realise that there's a traitor in your midst. So at which point all the players who are all members of this um, crime gang all go their separate ways and basically have three days to try and uncover, recover their money that they've invested and get all this um, extra stuff from the heist and escape the city. But they're doing it at the same time. They're getting hunted down by police and all that sort of thing. And what sounds like a game that you'd be like rolling dice and all that sort of stuff. It's actually a really, really, really deep, strategic zero luck style of game um yeah cool yeah a lot of fun um but the main thing i'd think like in terms of trends the thing that excites me uh, is because i have a special love for solo board gaming which seems kind of like the antithesis of why you would play board games but it is a lot <laughs> of fun trust me there are good solo games out there um but solo games are becoming pretty huge uh Every Kickstarter that comes out, they're adding a solo game. They'll add a solo mode as a stretch goal if it's not already in the game in the first place. And of course, with um, cooperative games, most of those are playable solo because it's um, you just play because you're working together. You just play multiple people at once. Um, but solo games are, are pretty big right now. As are um, reprints is probably the other big thing. I think this is, we're talking before about solo uh, about solo games about board games having this resurgence. I think a lot of people are getting into the hobby now and are realising they missed out on all these great games that came before and not all of them are currently still in print. So we're actually seeing uh, a lot of... Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of Kickstarters coming out of late, which are reprints of sort of some of the old Star Wars of the industry that have been out of print for a long time. So, um, you know, I think it either just finished or it finishes in a day or two, but uh, Die Marker, which is the very first board game that was ever entered into the Board Game Geek database, but it's a um, sort of six-hour-long game about the German political system. Uh, but it's a it's an excellent game that people have been wanting to get their hands on for ages but haven't been able to, so they're doing a reprint of that. Um, 
Preta Porter by Ignacy Trevishek, uh, which is a game about the fashion industry. Um, that's uh, just come out on Kickstarter again. They only made 2,000 copies originally, but the game is amazing. I've had the fortune of playing it. And, um, yeah, they've done this Kickstarter and it's just completely blown up. So there's a lot of desire out there for all these old games um, that, yeah, have fallen out of print. And then you've got a company called Restoration Games, which they're going back and getting really old games that the publishing rights have completely lapsed for. And they're, it's not really a reprint because they're kind of redesigning them at the same time. Um, but there was an old board game in the eighties um, or early nineties called Thunderball Island, which was this big sort of plastic volcano monstrosity. And you would move your little figures around and every now and then the volcano would erupt and you'd oh, roll marbles yeah. down these pathways yeah, so they've just re – it's out in stores now, a reprinting of that that was made with um, the help of Rob Davio, I think, who's the guy who invented Legacy. Um, uh-huh. So, But, yeah, that, that company's been doing some really, really good things. I'm sorry, what was the name of that volcano games. game? Um, it's uh, – oh, God. Um, I just said it and it's just left my mind. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Thunderball Island. Thunderball, Thunderball Island. Island. I'm like, okay, technically I can go back and find it if I need to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that company's been doing some really cool things as well. So I, I find that interesting, just that idea that um, it, it's kind of like when you first discover movies or something more than just, you know, popcorn action flicks and <laughs> yeah. start going back and, and looking at old Hitchcock films and all that sort of thing. But it's a bit more difficult with board games. So yeah. I'm really thankful you've got, yeah, the publishers that are either reprinting games they own or you've got um, organisations like um, uh, that game developers just going out and they're buying old licenses, uh, restoration games, buying old licenses and, you know, tweaking them and remaking them for a modern market. I think that's exceptionally cool. That sounds Yeah, that sounds really, really awesome. And so is there anything else uh, coming up soon that isn't out yet but that you're, you've kind of heard the rumblings of and think it's it's worth keeping track of? Um, some ones that I'm excited for. Uh, Death May Die is going to be a lot of um, – could be very interesting. Death May Die is a Cthulhu-based uh, game. It's put out by Simon. They had a Kickstarter for it uh, late last year and it's due uh, – I think October this year. Um, uh, full disclosure, I backed the living bejesus out of that game on Kickstarter, so I have a lot of big boxes coming my way. Um, but that game's designed by Eric Lang, who uh, designed what is one of still one of the hottest games going around at the moment, which is a game called Blood Rage, uh, where you're all um, sort of Vikings. Um, very, very fun game with beautiful plastic figurines and all that sort of thing. So. Eric Lang's probably one of the more prolific and um, well-loved designers in the industry at the moment. And, uh, yeah, him doing a Cthulhu game uh, has me very interested. Mm. Um, and, I've got, look, the, some of these reprints that are coming out later this year, I'm extremely excited for, like uh, Carnival Zombie um, Second Edition, uh, which uh, I, I do need to throw this in because the theme's hilarious. Uh, Carnival Zombie was set during a... Um, Oh, I've forgotten what's on. Something's happening in Venice at the time and you're all over there for business or tourism or whatnot and then Venice gets attacked by zombies <laughs> and you've got to sort of survive and escape um, the, the the town before – the city before it sinks below the waves of um, the undead horde. 
but they've in the new edition they've adding a an alternate side to the board, which is a different theme, which is Zombies Attack Milan Fashion Week, and <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that sounds glorious! <laughs> just conceptually, I just think that is just the greatest idea. So I'm uh, yeah, very excited for Carnival Zombies Second Edition to come out as Stiletto well. Stiletto um, weapons, uh, will show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that looks like it's going to be a a lot of fun. So very much looking forward to that coming out. Um, the other big one I'm excited about is a game called Madara. Now, this has actually come out, but I'm not going to be able to get it to 2020 because when it finally hit store shelves, they launched their second Kickstarter to essentially finish the game. It's called Act 1, and Act 1 has like 60 hours worth of gameplay in there, and then they bring out an Act 2 and Act 3. But with that Kickstarter, you can also get a bit of a discount price on the original the original game but this is like this big sprawling most like a jrpg of a board game oh wow um but the cool thing about it is it comes with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like equipment and weapon cards so you can completely customize your individual characters that you're playing into you know highly specialized or you know extremely jack of all trades s characters so there's just a lot of flexibility in that character creation so if you look on a person who loves you know min maxing in a in a rpg bit tabletop or on a computer um this game looks like that's going to really 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 scratch that itch uh so yeah that i'm, I'm pretty excited about that um but beyond that i mean it's there's so little news that come, unless it's from a big publisher, often these board games just kind of land. Yeah. Um, there's not the uh, months and months and months of build-up that you get through the marketing that you see in like video games world or even with movies. Uh, yeah, a lot of times there'll be like you know, a Gen Con, um, which is a, sort of a big global game convention, and the game has just launches a Gen Con. People, I've never even heard of this game. This way, and becomes the the new hotness, um, and particularly because a lot of the games that we end up playing and loving are coming out of non English speaking countries. Uh, Europe's obviously a really big um, home of board games, and often it's not until some obscure German title hits a critical mass in Germany and then goes to the rest of the world, and suddenly everybody's talking about <laughs> this amazing game. Like there was yeah. a game called uh, Ganschon Cleaver, which stands for pretty clever, and. Um, that was like the hotness earlier this year. It's just a dice game, but it was just this quiet little thing in Germany and then just blew up and everybody was playing it and just sort of came out of nowhere. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, man, there are so many cool things there. I'm, yeah, I, I knew this. I knew when I said, Nathan, <laughs> can you come and talk to me about board games that my wallet was going to hurt afterwards, but I, it's okay. It's okay. It's It's for work now. That's the nice thing exactly. about doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, the other big thing that I'd love sort of your your sense of is, you know, the kind of uh, that ability to find people, you know, kind of that can sometimes mm-hmm. be a problem for people. So, you know, are there kind of some good big uh, Aussie events that people should sort of keep in mind on the local calendar that, you know, I guess through sort of, you know, whether it's, coming months or sort of any of the, the biggest things that leap to your mind for where people mm-hmm. can go and hang out and find other people who want to play board games with? Yeah, definitely. Um, now, to be fair, I'm probably going to be a little bit more Southeast in Australia um, focused just because that's where I live. Um, but the big ones um, 
there's a one called BorderCon, which takes place on um, uh, the border between Victoria and New South Wales. Um, that happens in oh, they've just had it. It was the Queen's birthday weekend. Uh, it's definitely a good one to go along to. MeepleCon, which happens in December. Uh, BunnyCon, which is also another Melbourne-based one, which happens over Easter, unsurprisingly. Uh, there was a big one that used to happen in Tasmania, um, but I don't know if it's running anymore. It was, like, it was called the uh, Tasmanian Games Festival, something on those lines. Um, I think the best thing for people to do if you want to get into games is go to meetup.com and do a search for board gaming groups in your local area. Um, I think the conventions can potentially be a little bit overwhelming unless you're going with a group of friends who already play board games. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, because you do, I mean, they do wonderful things to help get people set up. And that is like, they'll have um, little uh, flags that you can put up on your table, which essentially say, hey, we're looking for another player to play this game. And people interested, they'll stop by. Um, but I, it can be a little intimidating just sort of going to plonk yourself down with a group of, you know, four or five people that you've never met before and uh, and playing a board game. Yeah. Um, but the meetup groups tend to be quite good for that because they're actively trying to expand their numbers. Um and they, they can be quite useful. We actually, I used to run a um, board game group with a, a few other people in Melbourne called Dice Boards and Cards, and we'd meet up once a month. But um, we haven't done that in like a year, so <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that group. <laughs> Don't sign up for that one. It's not doing Don't anything one. at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, another good one is PAX. If you're going along to PAX, the tabletop area grows every year. Um, the people who organise um, the games library there, uh, like Melissa Rogerson, uh, all do a fantastic job um, and make sure that there is a – like the library is absolutely gigantic. Um, last time I found myself with enough time to actually sit down and play a board game at PAX, uh, was pleased to actually be able to go through and play a bunch of new releases that I'd been anticipating for a while uh, that had only hit store shelves, but they were there in the library. So, um, yeah, PAX is highly recommended. And if you find that board games aren't your thing, you can go play video games. So, <laughs> yeah. Or go to the Builder's Arms and have a beer. And that's yeah, look, which it's is a, where you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a good point, actually, that um, I have found, yeah, and again, I've mostly been at PAX for, yeah, to cover the video game side of the event, but mm. um, that, yeah, the, the the setup there for board games has been great so that, you know, the, the, there's some people who are, you know, literally there to just teach people how to play games they might not have yeah. never played before. Um, so there's a really good environment there for just being able to sample, um, yeah, a bunch of different stuff in between, you know, whatever else you might be doing through the day. And I have some buddies from around the country who, you know, well, like they're old uni friends and I never see them in mm-hmm. Sydney, but I see them in Melbourne every year. And <laughs> at some point late in the evening, we'll meet up, you know, because we're like, okay, everybody's finished doing things. We've been out and met somewhere else for a drink and then we'll go at like 10 o'clock at night before it closes at midnight and we'll play something. Um, yep. And it's it's a great environment for, for that sort of stuff too. Yeah. Um, look, yeah, I just recommend getting in early in the day and making sure you snag a table because they fill up quick. They really do. <laughs> mm. um, look, I am so appreciative of your time today. We've uh, this, yeah, you know, closing in on 50 minutes. Uh, but Damn. this has been a detailed <laughs> dive. I'm really, really pleased with with how much my soul is renewed 
for for going and doing <laughs> the board game stuff. Um, where can people find your? Uh, you know, is your secret project uh, yet to be um, mentioned? Or um, oh, it's been it's been mentioned. Oh, yeah. um, it just hasn't. It it was intended to um, uh, be launched much earlier in this year, but um, I've, the holiday period that I plan to take to get it finished off has only just happened. It was meant to happen in March. But uh, if you flying solo games is the um, the the website. It is a uh, and I'm just making sure I've got my address right. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, it came on. Flying for me. There we go. FlyingSolarGames.com. Flying um, on that, uh, it's just a coming uh, soon page at the moment, but you will see a, a Twitter link to the Twitter account, or you can follow me at ElprezAU on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, so that's going to be focused purely on the solo board game experience. Um, it's just a, it's a niche aspect of the hobby that i'm uh, i'm very very much into uh, i love my solo board games to the point now i don't buy new board games unless they have a solo mode at least until i get through my pile of non-solo games <laughs> once they're all played then i'm allowed to buy non-solo games again um, look it's a good point about the whole that soon. yeah the whole solo thing um i had literally not actually i'm so dumb i had not thought about the fact that you can 100% play a co-op game solo because it's oh, co-op. totally. Yeah. It's my number one hatred of co-op games, actually, is the number of co-op games that we'll have on the box, two to four players or what have you. That's if a really good point. If it's an open information solo game, you can play it solo. Yeah. I mean, there are some games where you have got some information that's hidden uh, from other players uh, to sort of build up tension and yeah. all that sort of thing. And obviously, those can be a bit difficult to play solo. Uh, but, yeah, the vast majority of solo games – uh, sorry, the vast majority of co-op games are solo uh, or soloable, I should say. Yeah, awesome. Um, look, thank you so much, Nathan, and I hope you will deign to come back and chat more about board games in future. Uh, and it's like it would a, be a pleasure. I'm like it's like proposing to you in public, where you know it's like you're not allowed, you're not allowed to say no. I'm asking you on the podcast. That would be really rude. Um, and look, I will. Uh, uh, yeah, I should just wrap up the show. So thank you, everybody. <laughs> you can tell this is the first official uh, episode after just a bunch of interviews that can kind of end Indeed. really, really casually. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I will be back weekly from here going forward, um, talking about all different things. We'll, I'm catching up with the guys from Seven Land Hand soon uh, to talk about the state of, of Magic the Gathering um, and all the related things around that. Uh, and yeah, lots of other things planned for coming weeks and months. And there is still a competition running. Uh, the game table uh, over at biteside.com. You can see the post. Send me an email. Tell me about uh, why you love your own game table and what it means to you to sit around a table and play with friends. Uh, we have a copy of Acquisitions, Inc., uh, the book, uh, as well as a copy of uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh and some random trinkets that I got at D&D Live uh, to send somebody who sends me a really cool 25-word or less style email to tell me about what you love when it comes to playing these sorts of things. So thank you for listening. Uh, check out everything else I'm doing at biteside.com and catch up with me on Twitter. I am at Seamus and there'll be heaps of links in the show notes uh, to this episode to send you off to spend all of the money that you've ever earned. Um, so yes, thanks again. And we'll talk to you again another time at the game table. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.